I can't hear you. You can't hear me? <laughs> really? I, I can't I can't hear you. Okay, hold on, wait up, fuck off. <laughs> um What about now? <laughs> Can you hear me now? No. <laughs> okay, hold on. <laughs> Can you hear me now? No. Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. Hello. Let's dive right into it. How you doing, boy? This yeah, is a bit I'm of a okay. weird one this week, isn't it? It is. We're on opposite ends of the ship. I am. I've, <laughs> I've locked you up. Oh, we're we're in s- separate spaceships here. Yeah, I'm locked in the brig, baby. I'm in the uh, I'm in the captain's chair. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing this podcast over over Skype, basically, this week. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, fuck it. We're not giving Skype free branding. We're doing it over Facebook, uh, over, over Samsung video yeah, call. So we're, we're just doing it over the normal video call function. And as far as I know, you and I are the first human beings to use it. I'm assuming there's some very, <laughs> very excited little technical engineers over at Samsung headquarters. They're like, holy shit. Oh, Jesus Christ. These crazy kids are fellas, like fellas, three hours. get over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, Mr. Samsung, it's happening. <laughs> He's like, what? It's time to wake up Professor Samsung from cryosleep. It's, it's time to pull out it's Professor Samsung's uh, child blood IV and, and and get him out of that medically induced coma he's been in. <laughs> oh, yes. God. Um, we have just spent the better part of the last, I would say, five to ten minutes, like looking at each other down the video feed and clapping at the same time clapping to try and sync up the video, sync the audio. Yeah. Because um, this may, we're going to be a bit good to the weeds, but Jesus Christ, we decided, all right, I'll have my microphone set up, you'll have your microphone set up, and we'll just record our audio separately and someone, one of the two of us, <laughs> will splice it together yep. and sync it up. Yep. And Jesus Christ, is this stressful. I'm kind of worried that we're going to spend the next two and a half hours waffling on about nothing. Um, yep. And then it's not going to be salvageable. I really, at all. I think it'll be fine. I think you're worried. I think, but I think, it'll I think be the fine. one thing that will be more frustrating than losing a recording completely would be recording it perfectly on both ends and <laughs> just not being able to sync it up properly. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, you're talking at the same pace, I'm talking at the same pace. As long as one of us has both the audio tracks, there should be no problem. Because you can just slide oh. it back and forward in Audacity and it'll be all good. Anyway, way too, way too behind the curtain. Um, Jesus Christ. All right. This is a technological so, nightmare and if it works out, it will be a technological miracle. Listeners, just know that <laughs> this is this is what we're dealing with. So, But yes, yeah, we're, God. we're podcasting from isolation. Um, so, yeah, so we're in the midst of... So we keep recording shit and then sitting on it for ages. So it's the end of March right now. It's March 25th as yep. we record this. So shit changes every day. At, at the moment in Australia, all businesses are shutting down, cafes and restaurants and things you're not allowed to go to unless it's takeaway and yep. gatherings of X amount of people are banned. If you're at a wedding... It's more than 100 at the moment just for Oh, it's crazy. Reference. I feel yeah. like pe- people, are, people don't go, aren't going to want to listen to this. Yeah. I, aren't going to want to hear about corona bullshit, but it's just, it's so new and it's so fresh and it's so, <laughs> it's so stressful for us. Mm. It's sort of all I've been trying, all I've been stuck thinking about for like the last week or so. Um, well, this is the problem with it, and like, yeah, let's. You're right. I'm sure everyone's already hearing about it all the time, but like, 
The thing that's so frustrating. This is going to be three weeks old by the time we actually get this out. (laughs) Well, yeah. But you can't really just be like, let's talk about something else because it's like, oh, let's talk about fucking movies. Oh, wait. Um, it's affected the industry fundamentally because it requires, like, a lot of it requires people sitting in the same room for. <laughs> yeah, so, like, lots of all cinemas. All cinemas, uh, just I think, pretty well gone. around the globe, but just indefinitely closed. Some yep. of our friends still work at cinemas in Canberra that have been closed uh, until further notice. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And so, oh, it's such a bummer, man. Yeah, like, sorry, so many to, of, sorry so- to folks. That are affected by this, who, who are like in casual service industry. Oh, jobs. it sucks so much. So many, so many. Like uh, f- f- someone I know had to move back to Adelaide to his parents because they couldn't pay rent. Like it's, it's yep. so stressful. And I, f- I feel like it's, it's all that's been occupying my mind this week. And um, <laughs> in trying to find funny news, all the funny news I've managed to find is just like funny coronavirus-related news. <laughs> oh, Tom <So>. Hanks <laughs> has coronavirus. <laughs> Imagine, <laughs> oh Wilson, kind of shit. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to see. Have to see how we go. Um, the movie that we're going to be talking about this week is The Lighthouse, mm-hmm. which I saw so long ago and don't remember very much about at all. Ironically, Andrew a has movie that about he has... sort of losing your fucking mind, being very isolated. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, there you go. Kind there of more go. relevant than we expected so it to be. I think it's directed by someone, probably a man. It is it directed stars by two Robert people. Eggers. Yes, they're men. Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. There you go. It's a it's a Look white it man up. film about white men on a black and white picture. Imagine yeah. looking after a little light in a lighthouse. Drinks report. What are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking. You got a little strongbow <laughs> there, I think. Strongbow dry apple cider. Oh, nice. Strongbow cider is made from crushed apples. These are fermented, filtered, and bottled right here in our own backyard. Jesus Christ, I'm drinking biker speed. Yeah. <laughs> in our yeah. own backyard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How about uh, you, brother? What I you got, got cooking? I'm on the cognac, mate. Oh. Yeah, fuck Didn't it. realize I was podcasting with a 70-year-old man. Yeah, yeah you're podcasting with one of the 1%. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's Courvoisier, I think. Cor- and you're cor- podcasting with 21%, baby. <laughs> Quality or what? No, alcohol. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's actually much better than alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that is funny. Yes. You're sort of definitely splitting the wickets between our respective ABVs, but yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have anything else to say about coronavirus, but it's really stressful. Yeah, it fucking sucks. It's another one of these... Um, it's just like an unseen threat, right? Yeah. I think it's one of the I things that's been, weighing on me. I don't want to get too, too real, but I think I've been the most depressed that I've been in fucking ages oh, yeah. today. Huge, it sucks. Huge mental health effects of this thing. Um, yeah. So I guess like before we jump on into it, um, we'll try and like record despite it, right? Like let's just try yeah. it. Some, obviously a lot assuming of the news... That, assuming that this one works... Yeah, and then it all goes according to plan. Andrew, Andrew's using a, a, a microphone that's worth about a million dollars more than mine. So if you're wondering why Andrew sounds like a, <laughs> Andrew Actually, sounds incredible, I think I and think I sound like I'm talking pretty, down a tin can. I think they're pretty like um, pretty comparative in value. I just think oh, mine yeah, was made. Yeah, that's, that's mine was made roughly forty years after yours. <laughs> you're right. So that's why I sound like Mick Jagger. I wanted to. Yeah. Well, that'll be good, won't it? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to um trying to test this fucker out, but yeah, yeah. right. Um, uh, yeah. I think we'll just we'll try and like 
I don't know, not focus on it too much, give people something else to think about. Um, although, like, a lot of the news is going to be about that, I assume, so... Yeah, yeah. I don't um, really, ha- I don't really have a bunch of news. I don't know. I kind of okay. got bummed out the more I scrolled through all the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, this is cancelled. <laughs> this is postponed. Go. Oh, theaters are fucked. Um, yeah, exactly. Bottom Should line. Should we see how we go? We'll get, jump into the news. Yeah, I guess. Bottom line, um, try and try and do the right thing. Try and stay safe. Um, everybody's hurting at the moment. Whether or not you're like, I mean, I'm pretty privileged. I can work from home, but. Um, I know there's a lot of people out there that are going to be pretty severely affected by this thing. So, um, yeah, I don't know if you want to have like a, you can post your feelings on the, uh, beef session, beef posting Facebook page, maybe have a little cathartic Mm -hmm. thread if you feel like you don't have anyone else (laughs) to talk to about this, but yeah, um, hope everyone's doing okay. It's, it's going to be fucking rough. For, uh, Orbiting high above beef station, we're thinking of y'all. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be pretty rough for everybody, and clearly, it's it's already taking its toll. So, yeah. Wait, no, um, we're orbiting high above Earth. We're in beef station. We're, we're, we're not in, orbiting yes, high above in, beef station. No, no, no. We're in beef station. We're orbiting high above beef station. We've been fucking hijacked. <laughs> <laughs> the the Earth revolves around beef station. Is the <laughs> That's we're the on Earth. Line. We abandoned ship. The Earth is the Earth. We we on Earth are rolling high around Beef Station. Mm. Mm. Yeah, see that thing orbiting around us? That's you, listener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do the news. Right, let's do it. Oh, this is gonna suck. There's this, about a one second delay in <laughs> Andrew and Aaron's video chat thing. If this All right. just listeners, if this sounds if this sounds good or usable, then know <laughs> that that's due to our hard work. It did not happen naturally. <laughs> okay, ready? I'm starting the music now. Let's go. Great. I think that went wonderfully. Beef bulletin. <laughs> I said that at the same time as you, I promise. <laughs> I was like, beef bullet. Bulletin. Beef bullet. Yeah. All right. Um, a shitload of stuff has happened because of the coronavirus. Yes. Um, so many movies have been delayed in their screening, I suppose, because so many movies um, make all their money in the opening weekend. Mm-hmm. From theaters, yeah. Uh, from theaters and stuff, uh, and all theaters are closed and gatherings over. Like I, I was talking to a friend of mine in Germany, all gatherings above two people. Two are people. Banned. Yep, that's that's it's fucked. Um, so because because uh, movies can't make all the money in the cinemas, they they the release dates are being being delayed. So I think all sorts of big blockbusters like the new Wonder Woman 1984 isn't going to come out until sort of August or September. Um, in, in typical James Bond news, just to kick off everything, James Bond, the film that its marketing started about a year ago, isn't coming out until November this year. Yeah, if then. James Bond's, James Bond's going to be coming out, according to this, 12th of November in the UK, 25th of November in the US. Well, because the other thing about a film like that, even if you're looking at, like, even if you pull back from the end product where it has to show in a room to fucking 500 people, is yeah. that, sorry, like a film set that big is at least 30 or more people. Like, at, at, at least, I would expect you would easily get to, like, 100 crew oh, uh, yeah. well, on so a it, film like so that. So Tom they can't Hanks even famously- make it. 
Yeah, it's crazy. Tom Hanks famously contracted the coronavirus recently. He was one of the first big celebrities to come out yeah. saying he had it. Him and um, uh, Idris Elba. <laughs> oh, I, thought, I thought you were going to say Rita Wilson and you were like, yeah, him and uh, his partner, fucking <laughs> Idris Elba. Um, yeah. Imagine. Uh, Tom Hanks was in Australia filming Baz Luhrmann's Elvis biopic. Uh, and that's been that's right. been like uh, permanently suspended at the moment, yeah. Um, or like suspended until further notice In- because Tom Hanks yeah. has the fucking corona. Yeah, <laughs> I literally forgot the word indefinitely. <laughs> yeah, because Tom Hanks has the coronavirus. I read the words um, Tom Hanks has coronavirus, and it just like fully broke my brain. It's <laughs> <laughs> like couldn't really distinguish. Like I was like. This is a very funny, ironic headline. Um, and yeah. I just couldn't get off the, like, this is funny in an ironic way, way of thinking about it. I was like, I don't know. That's just a, it's a funny celebrity to pick out of a random hat. And coronavirus it's so funny is such that, a like, ridiculous fucking thing. Yeah. I, I like making, I mean, I love Tom Hanks. I'm sorry that he's sick. But, like, I like making fun of it as, like, this, oh, now coronavirus is serious because Tom Hanks has it. Yeah. Kind of shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The, one of my favorite comedians is Kumail Nanjiani, yeah, yeah. and his wife has some sort of immuno, some sort of disorder she's that means she's immunocompromised. Yeah. And so he's been like really freaking out and really worried about all the coronavirus shit. And so they had mm-hmm. this new podcast called "Staying In" with Emily and Kumail, which is brilliant. Um, and Wasn't first she the one that was in out. a fucking huge coma for a while? Yeah, uh, she's yeah, the one right. that is is his. She's the one who the girl, uh, the his girlfriend in the Big Sick is based on, right? So famously, um, has spent a fair bit of time being comatose. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, their podcast is going to be coming out while they're in isolation, while the coronavirus is a thing. So probably for the next fucking six months. Yeah. Um, and yep. I don't know. It, it's good fun. It's not a. It's not a bummer. They said they're going to be talking about um, what they're up to and how to pass the time. And she's a, she's a qualified psychologist and therapist or something. And he's funny so (laughs) makes for a good combination um he actually they co-wrote the big sick or something didn't they yeah they did yeah they they co-wrote it together um she's clearly a funny writer at least and so they're working together at home and sort of had all these strategies about like how to not kill each other when you're stuck with your partner for six months and there yeah i I can't remember why i mentioned it i mentioned oh yeah because they um they were recounting they said they're not going to talk about the coronavirus much but they in their first episode that just came out the other week they were recounting how the events developed and everything and how they first learned about the coronavirus and how it all happened um and they referred to all their events as either pre pre hanks or post hanks <laughs> yeah, I guess I probably put it on a lot of people's radar. Yeah. Uh. Um uh for all those who are emotionally invested, uh breaking breaking news here from Beef Station is that Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson say they feel better after I being treated great. for coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. Well Yeah. I'm glad they're okay. Um I'm not yeah, no, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Glad they're okay. Sorry for all of Italy. <laughs> Good news, there'll be a uh, yeah. there'll be a Toy Story five after all. Oh, thank God. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, speaking of Command Lagiani, he had a new film that was going to be coming out soon, uh, released by Paramount Pictures on April third, called The Lovebirds, uh, that he made with uh, someone called Isa Ray, 
Um, it was pulled. It was a, a comedy that was going to hit theaters in April that was pulled by Paramount because of all these coronavirus concerns. Right. And it's now been bought and it's going to be released by Netflix instead. Yeah, so this is something, this is, this is a pattern that we might actually see a fair bit. Um, I yeah. guess people from large movie studios are going to try and like recoup any losses that they possibly could if if a movie was like mostly made or it was in like post-production so it can be made without the assembly of large numbers of people um rather than releasing it through theaters i never and thought about that yeah i suppose they can't make arrange, movies anymore not really um they'll arrange it to be released through a streaming service instead so I, i'm assuming that we'll see this a fair number of times Maybe mm. not like maybe not like Marvel films that need opening weekends to be massive. Um, well, I don't know. Yeah, in, I mean, at the moment, it seems like they're trying to gamble on like delaying the movies and hoping this all goes away. Right. Like which, I saw like, Black Widow might, is but... going to be delayed until later in the year. Yeah. The Wonder Woman movie, which is DC, is going to be delayed till later in the year. But um, yeah. But, the, but this Amazon... releasing direct to streaming services might be something that we see as like a countermeasure to try and well, yeah. get quick wins. Amazon, I think I think it's only the US at the moment, but Amazon have released a new section of their Amazon Prime streaming service called Amazon Prime Video Cinema. It's this video right. cinema hub thing okay. where they have new releases where you have to pay you have to pay like twenty bucks to rent it basically to watch right. it. Which I suppose it's like, it's like I don't mind ticket. if it's a new release and you'd be spending out of the movie ticket instead. Um, yeah, so at the moment, um, if it's actually as an example, bucks, that's a lot. <laughs> It is, but like you could watch it with you and your partner, and then that would be about what you'd spend Split on a ticket. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah. Okay, that's kind of um, fair. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, so it says here at the moment uh, in the US, the, this article I'm reading from Anime used as an example new releases such as The Invisible Man, The Hunt, and Emma. I saw on another article that I don't have in front of me anymore that that new Pixar movie um, was going to be on this Amazon or some sort of purchase, brand new, new release streaming type thing as well. Disney Plus? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, whatever it is, but yeah, like a, an example of like um, new release cinema type things that are going right. to be um, available streaming on day one rather than be delaying eight months. Sure. I don't know. The more I think about how shit's get like, they're like, oh, hopefully this whole global pandemic is wrapped up by November. The more I'm like, hmm. <laughs> if we could just get this fucking thing over and done within, uh, you know, seven or eight months, that'd be great. Like, yeah. Yeah, I think. Oh, um, man. The fucking Olympics are postponed. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was trying to think of when the last time that would have been was. I saw on the news, oh, not the news. Yeah, no, yeah, on the news. Don't fucking doubt me. I saw on the news that um, it said it was the because you know that the Olympics in their modern form have only been going for like the last 120 years or something. Apparently, this is the first time that the Olympics have been delayed in a hundred in the whole 120 year run in, the, the in their modern form. Right, that's pretty but indicative, I, also, I suppose. But the the Olympics were also cancelled. Uh, okay. During World War Two, during yeah. World War Two, I was wondering about how the World Wars would have affected it, but right, it yeah, because well, then that's that's the thing. I th- I think I read one of them because I think <laughs> we're talking about it at work, and I think one of the I think in nineteen nineteen forty and nineteen forty four, I think were both cancelled. I think one of them was in thanks, Tokyo Hitler. actually as well. Yeah, <laughs> one of them was in Tokyo. Oh, thanks, Tojo. And that, so Tokyo's missed like two Olympics. Yeah, um, right. and I think I think for the <laughs> like I think for fuck. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think for the Tokyo one, um, it's delayed, they initially though, right? Not, yeah. they initially tried to move the date, and then yeah. they cancelled it altogether. Well, it's kind of funny too because like it being cancelled in the forties means that it still would have been on a leap year. So is this going to be like the first non leap year Olympics in 
history? Yeah. That, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I it's, suppose so. if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But it's not like it was in 1941 or whatever. Fuck, that'd so. be so brutal if it didn't happen. Yeah. Imagine being an athlete. That's yeah, it. you've trained. Imagine for, being an athlete. Two years in a row. So you're like, fuck. Okay, I guess it's. I guess instead of four years, it's eight years that I've got to like keep my body <laughs> in shape. And then like that, the eight year one gets cancelled as well. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Like, That'd be good. Oh, you meant back, the, back then. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I meant like now. Imagine now. winding up. Oh, yeah. Now it sucks, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it sucked back then, but I didn't know anyone back then. So, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. What else have I got what here? What other news um, we got? Uh, I got, I've got a couple of links from the last time we recorded, like a month ago. So, this is pre-corona Ooh, news. Very good. All right. Here we go. So, it'll all be different. Um, there was this... There was oh fuck my Wi-Fi is cut out. Hold on, now we're all good. Everything's under control. All right. How's this? So this is an episode. This is a story from IndieWire from like a month ago. Okay, <laughs> um, great. Ryan Ryan Johnson reveals Apple won't allow bad guys in movies to use iPhones. Um, no yeah. wonder the killer in Knives Out is one of the only characters who doesn't use an Apple product. Spoiler Apple. alert for Knives Out. <laughs> yeah, That'd be pretty cool. Keen-eyed listeners. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, oh, he's using an Android. Actually, yeah. I'm, I'm, oh, God. I can't look for that ever. I just need to not. If, if I ever get a movie ruined because of that, not only am I going to be angry at Apple for, like, I don't know, pretending so that they're not the bad guys, I'm also going to yeah. be angry at Ryan Johnson for fucking revealing that fact. So this is some stupid fucking Apple rule. Oh, I suppose if God. you have their products in the movies, you got to pay them a lot. I don't know. Whatever. That's um, bullshit. Uh, the reveal was made as Johnson was breaking down a pivotal scene from his most recent directorial effort, Knives Out, reading through from IndieWire here. Uh, the scene is when Ransom Drysdale, played by... Chris, that's such a stupid name. Yes, it is. <laughs> played, played by Chris Evans, arrives at the Thromby... Jesus Christ. Yep. Uh, there's so many speed bumps. Arrives at the Thromby household and all of the main characters converge for the first time. Several characters are seen holding iPhones, including Jamie Lee Curtis's character... Um, but the one person without an Apple product is Ransom. Right. Um, that is why. Knives Out viewers know that Ransom is the killer at the center of Johnson's murder mystery, which means the character is prohibited from being featured in Knives Out with an iPhone. Um, God damn. That's so crazy. Uh, uh, Ryan Johnson said, um, this is pivotal. If you're ever watching a mystery movie, bad guys can't have iPhones on camera. Every single filmmaker who has a bad guy in the movie that's supposed to be a secret wants to murder me right now. <laughs> that's so stupid. This Imagine Apple being ludicrous. like, oh, people are going to think our customers are murderers because... <laughs> yeah, or even like... <laughs> Oh, people aren't going to want to be Chris Evans if Chris Evans plays a bad guy. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Of course. Yeah. Oh, God. That is that is going to impact on literally no one's perspective about fucking it's, iPhones. That's so, so stupid. stupid. That's so yeah. stupid. I hate it. Um, yeah, I hate <laughs> yeah, Me too. I um, hate it. Here's a headline from, uh, from, from another, another headline from about a month ago. John Krasinski has an idea for A Quiet Place 3. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. An even quieter place is a, still. Is it a family that can't leave the house? <laughs> it's a family that has no sense of smell. <laughs> Jesus. Kid kid rips a fat fart. John Krasinski's like, no. <laughs> the monsters are coming. Um, oh, God. 
so I think the second I think the second Quiet Place movie is probably one of those movies that's being delayed. Yeah, I, I um, think I remember seeing a headline about it. Um, that's 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 the whole story. He said he didn't think he'd get a second one, and now he's getting a second one. Uh, now that he's got a second one, um, his brain started wandering of questions of what this would mean later on. He started writing down notes in case he could prepare for a third one. Right. So, well, John, <laughs> think up an idea for a different fucking movie. How about yeah. that? <laughs> oh, God. I, uh, I think that's all I've got for the news today. It's kind of a quiet one. I didn't want to get too much uh, bogged down in the weeds of uh, coronavirus news. because you say that, that right now this, kind of this a podcast bummer. is a quiet place? No. No. In fact, I'm probably going to get complaints any moment now from my housemates. Yeah, you may. Um, <laughs> um, no, the, the only news stories I've got left are a couple great headlines. Um, mm-hmm. Woody Allen and why he could ne- Woody Allen and why he could never have worked with Harvey Weinstein. Mm. Quote: He was a hands-on producer <laughs> who changed and recut directors' movies. Um, Interesting. Something from a month ago about a Friends reunion he was a, special. He was a handsy producer. <laughs> oh, speaking of uh, speaking of notable cases, fucking Harvey Weinstein has coronavirus. Yeah. Fuck yeah! Strike up one for the big W's. <laughs> Fucking rot in hell, yeah. Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, yeah. Um, something something from a month and a half ago about a Friends reunion special being confirmed for HBO. Uh, it's going to come out in May. <laughs> Who knows if it's coming out? They didn't even really know back then whether it was going to be uh, like a Q and A kind of episode, if it was going to be a real episode or what. Um, right. The last headline I have here is <laughs> a killer headline from enemy Donald Trump misunderstood the word discharged and thought Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson had died of coronavirus. <laughs> what? Um, let's see if it'll let me scroll down here. Um, it said that White House officials had to stop the president from tweeting his condolences. The report states that officials in the White House informed Trump that Hanks and Wilson had been discharged from hospital and feared he was about to send a tweet offering his condolences to their family. What the fuck? <laughs> Has he, like, never been into a hospital in his entire life? He's a germaphobe. Probably not, man. Ah, I guess... Also, like, no, I, don't I, I heard about this recently, how, like, a lot of rich people in the States have been tested and a lot of poor people, like, can't even get tests, even though they're like, I'm febrile and coughing heavily. Um, yeah, it's fucked. And uh, they were talking about how there are, like, these... Over there, there's this cottage industry of, like, private medical services that have cropped up where, like... Yeah. They have, um, they have emergency rooms for rich people over there where you pay, like, a $5,000 a year membership... And uh, you can go to an emergency room whenever you want, and you don't have to be around the pause. Sounds like you're um, describing private health insurance, buddy. It's not just private health insurance. It's like a, it's like private. It's like a private. It's like a hospital where you pay five thousand dollars a year to even be able to pay for the hospital. It's like a golf club if the golf club was a hospital. It's wild. And so, like, yeah, maybe he's like part of a bunch of them. And he's just never fucking even heard of the word, like, being discharged. <laughs> because... That is kind of wild. I don't know. He just walks in there and gets, like... It's like room service, but they're doing, like, blood tests. Yeah, yeah right. That shit's wild. Fucking hell. Um, the only other bit of news also, here yeah, that I've just found... Band bad. 
<laughs> is that Edgar Wright on Letterboxd has shared his 100 favorite comedies. I'm going to get on fucking Letterboxd. Fuck Edgar Wright, whatever. I don't care about what you just said. I'm going to get on Letterboxd. We need to... I like Edgar Wright. No, no, no. All right, you do your story and then I'll, I'll riff off. So what's he doing on Letterboxd? He's, he's done a list of his 100 favorite comedies okay, all right. to get everyone through these tough times. Okay. Um, uh, he's done a lot of older stuff. It looks like Buster Keaton and that sort of thing. He's yeah, done sure, some so. Marx Brothers, some... Um, so that's going like 20s, 30s? That sort of shit, yeah. He's yep. got uh, Dr. Strangelove from The Producers and The Graduate getting into the 60s. Okay. Um, that's Monster the original Monty- producers, not the Matthew Broderick yeah, and yeah. Uh, Nathan Lane version. Getting into the 70s, he's got Mon- The Life of Brian, Airplane, and The Blues Brothers. Man, I've heard Airplane dates really well. I, I really want to watch it. I was watching uh, uh, clips of Airplane on YouTube. Another podcast yeah. that we listened to was talking about a lot of... Um, who's the guy from it? Um, I, not Peter uh, Sellers. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, I only that, know because they were talking about it. It's that dude. dude. Um, and I, I thought, like, fuck, I gotta go in on this guy's movies. It sent me down this massive rabbit hole of, like, um, even, like, talking about just in, in general comedies that you've seen that uh, have have or have not aged well, which, like, and, like, my YouTube recommendations gave me a bunch of, like, Jim Carrey, like, Tom Shadiac-era Jim Carrey clips. Tom Shadiac was a guy that directed, <laughs> like, Bruce Almighty, I think maybe both of the uh, Ace Ventura movies as well, like... Yeah, just those eras of comedy. Um, yeah, fuck. It, I I feel like I have to go back in on. Is it Leslie Nielsen? That's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, um I've Leslie heard Nielsen. so many fucking people talk about the Naked Gun movies as well. I would yeah, love to watch yeah, yeah. those. The we should we should do that. Them. We should maybe we that should. should be our next episode. Is like Airplane and the Naked Gun movies. <laughs> I do that. I, I need God. I need a win right now, man. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> Apparently, um, Top I'll, Secret is really good as well. Some more recent ones he's done. He's done, he's got a heap of um, a heap of Wes Anderson ones on here. Bottle Rocket and Rushmore. Being John okay. Malkovich is really. Have you heard about Being no, John I've, Malkovich? No, I've heard of it. Um, and I, I'm pretty oh. sure I've like, yeah, it's a. I've seen it. It's I've really ne- cool. It's it. it's by some director who I'd know if you told me the name. But basically, um, it's a fi- obviously it's a it's a fictional movie starring John Malkovich as himself. Yeah. And it's about this person who finds a secret portal. Oh, it's directed by Spike Jones. Spike Jones. Yeah, that's it. So the same same one has directed her, one of our favorite movies. Yeah, right. And so when you go in, and so this dude finds this like secret portal into John Malkovich's mind, which is a fucking insane idea to have. And he starts <laughs> to con- yeah, and so he starts to conduct uh, like tours through John Malkovich's subconscious. Like you walk through a door and you appear in John Malkovich's brain. Right, and it's 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 kind of crazy, and like there's all these puppets and shit. It's great. I was written um, by Charlie it, Kauf- Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, I'll, I'll um Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, I'll have to um. He also wrote not, uh, not to Syn- you, yeah. York and uh, Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. Internal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is a fucking great movie. Did as I say well. internal, um, eternal, whatever. Eternal, yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole bunch of movies in here that I've never really heard of or never seen. Um, I'll uh, maybe I'll if I remember I'll try and link this list because yeah, Letterbox is cool. Be this good. list is great. It's got a whole lot of older comedies. I would hope that Edgar Wright has listed comedies that aren't just like oh I'm gonna put a Marx Brothers comedy in to be cool. I hope that it's dated well and that it's fun to watch. Um, yeah, because I know that like I've seen The Graduate I watched recently. 
Uh, and that movie has dated really well. That movie feels like a modern movie. It's right. fucking great. Yeah. And yeah, that's yeah. on this list. So, um, dude has good taste, I suppose. Is that a comedy? I will link that. Sorry? Uh, the Grudge? Yeah, it's, it kind of is. Yeah, I guess it's, it's kind of, of like a drama comedy kind of thing. It's like, this is the debate when you go onto like, <clears throat> when you go onto Netflix, all of the funny movies that I like are under drama. And if you look at comedy, <laughs> it's all like fucking... Um, uh, Step brothers and shit. Yeah, like um, what's oh god, what's the one about um, lifeguards <laughs> that got remade recently? It was a TV series for ages. Baywatch. Baywatch. Yeah, it's like it's like The Rock and Zac Efron comedies. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, like the shittiest comedies. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. know. I, I feel like when when you're like, oh, is it a comedy? It's like, well, it's a drama that's written really well. It's probably got jokes in there that are great. That's the other thing. No, I don't know. I'd be curious to watch a few of these movies though. I'm, I'm glad that. Edgar Wright it seems is like getting an interesting his list. I like Edgar Wright. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's all the it's news I got for the week. Yeah, yeah. Bit okay. of a rambly, right. waffly news. Good. But for an episode that's probably not going to even make it to the light of day, <laughs> doesn't matter. It's a rambly, <laughs> waffly kind of period of human existence, isn't it? All right, Andrew. I think you said you were going to take the lead on uh, the lighthouse for the week. Yeah. So the movie that we watched a little while ago, actually, uh, we did not see. No, we did see this one together. We did. We didn't see the Sonic movie together, which is an episode that we weirdly enough have recorded, but my bad, not released. Uh, <laughs> before recording this one, I'm hoping it um, comes out at some point. I was actually. Oh yeah, I was, it'll come out like next couple of days. Yeah, I'm happy to have this on the record. I was on a date with someone. Um, Ooh. The day before <laughs> you had up. Yeah, that's that's not what's going on the record. So um, <laughs> cut that bit. Um, Bleep that out. <laughs> I was on it with someone. You <laughs> you <laughs> you had already seen the Sonic movie. Yep. Without me. Yes, and I, I had to then by myself. I had to then go and see it, but you saw it by yourself as well, which is ludicrous. I had to then go and see it by myself. Yep. Um, which I wasn't very happy about because I sort of knew it was going to suck, and I didn't have a huge amount of time, and, and so I thought, like, <laughs> fuck, I'm going to have to squeeze said, in the inklings of coronavirus around. Then I feel like I went and saw it before I really realized that this was going to be a big thing, and then by the time you had to go and see it, you were like, I got to go and sit in a the theater, man. Mm. <laughs> like this exactly. Is fun. So I was like. I'm risking a fucking life and limb for this dumb yeah. podcast. It's <laughs> a stupid fucking movie. And so I was hanging out with her and she said, like, oh, so what are you um what are you doing this weekend? And I didn't um, literally nothing. <laughs> I'll I be sitting in an empty room yeah. by myself for uh, the entire so I, I I didn't want to say, Oh, I have a podcast. Yeah. Because I mean she already knows I'm a white man, so yeah, it's, you just it's, don't. A, it's a well, given. It's assumed, yeah. That's like ninth date material, I figured. You just and hope so I that thought, uh, like, it's not about films. But for whatever reason, I felt like it was necessary to tell her that I was going to see the Sonic movie against my will. Um, <laughs> so I was like, uh, I have. I said, I said something like, oh, I don't know. I have to go see the Sonic movie by myself on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what do you mean you have to go see the Sonic movie? <laughs> yeah, sorry. sorry, when you're interrogated, it sounds really weird and bad. But <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, it was like oh, the best I could come up with on short notice was like, oh, my my, my friend and I like talking about movies with. And he really and, and he really wants me to see this movie so he it. can talk to me about it. <laughs> no, nothing about microphones or releasing Very good. it. And she, to her credit, was like, "Oh, cool." Okay, <laughs> cool. Yeah, really. 
that's a red flag for you. Is that? Oh no, I know. She was just totally well, me, fine with that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's a red flag for you because she just didn't didn't even flinch. <laughs> oh yeah. I tried it next time. Like, surely uh, would have just. <laughs> I'd be like, next time we're like, out oh, of the room, Looney Tunes style with a dust cloud <laughs> behind them. I volunteered to direct a production of Les Mis starring exclusively three-year-olds. <laughs> That's a weirdly <laughs> specific example to pull out of thin air, but yes. <laughs> it's just like that. So, <laughs> this week, yes. or rather a few weeks ago, we watched The Lighthouse. <laughs> Oh, yeah, um, fuck. We have a podcast to do. Sorry. Yeah, we do, unfortunately. Critical Darling, The Lighthouse is a <clears throat> 2020, 2019 film directed by Robert Eggers, um, who <laughs> previously directed uh, the, the Witch or The Vivitch, if you've read the uh, text-only version. Um, it's, got, it's got two Vs instead of a W. Hey. Um it stars Robert Pattinson, so it's the next in the series following on from um, Good Time after, uh, yeah, following on from Good Time of Robert Pattinson doing, like, weird fucking movies. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminds me of Daniel Radcliffe, where he's, like, this young actor. Yeah, totally has a, to a guy reinvent who, himself. Yeah, and Daniel Radcliffe, um, I don't think, has to work anymore at all surely not but like right? hang on let me let me google this daniel radcliffe net worth or something yeah, net worth he probably doesn't have to work ever again i've seen him in interviews being like yeah he just loves being in movies okay. estimated he- to be according to wealthygorilla.com <laughs> <laughs> all right well no character assassinations just tell okay. us how much he's worth celebrity net worth and wealthygorilla.com so we've got confirmatory <laughs> evidence here both say 110 million dollars Right, so Fuck, he doesn't they also say he's five foot four, short yeah, king. That that's not true. God damn, five foot four. I know he's a notoriously short man. Yeah, but five foot four. Five four is very short. That is very short. That's God smaller damn. than five foot five, dude. Oh yeah, you sure? that's smaller than me. And brother, I'm brother, short. Brother, that's small. That's small. What a small man. Small it's beans. Start to be. It's start to be more nose than man. Oh yeah. Well, luckily for him, he's not Italian, but yes. Um, um, yeah, okay. No, I see where well, you're coming yeah, from, though. Totally. He has to reinvent himself after Twilight. Yeah, exactly. And so Daniel Radcliffe, I think, said, for example, The Swiss Army Man was his favorite script he'd ever read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Swiss um, Army Man, a movie where Daniel Radcliffe plays a an a animate corpse that um, I cannot remember the other person's name. Oh, Paul no. Dana. Paul Dana, yes. thank you. Has to, like... Um, <laughs> I was thinking Rupert Grint, and I'm like, no, that was a different <laughs> no. large franchise of films, um, where Paul Dana has to, like, uh, he finds him, and he kind of, like, ends up becoming best friends with this uh, animate corpse that can kind of do anything Paul Dana wants him to do. So, he, so he up, like, like, farts along the water, it's a jet ski. And- yeah, he's like a cigarette lighter by one of his fingers, like, flipping back and having a flame and stuff. It's really fascinating. It's like a Daniel surreal kind of experience. To, like, act in I'm sure we've talked about it before but he has to act in such a way that he is never really very expressive but has to express emotion it's a very funny heartfelt yeah. little movie um, he picks like weird probably projects probably the polar opposite of um, well because that's the thing now he just has to do whatever he wants to do right like he he never yeah. has to do another movie that he doesn't want to do ever again in his life <laughs> so he just picks scripts that he loves and which are probably the really weird out there ones which is the no same be with, so good. Um, and like famously and like, after he did Harry Potter, he did that play where he shows his dick. 
Equus, yeah. <laughs> Where he fucks a horse, thank you very much. <laughs> Does he really? Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. It's about yeah. a, a man that falls in love with the horse. Fuck yeah. yeah. Um, he apparently got bits from that. Got bits? He got parts from that. Oh, yeah. So he got, no, he got I, a part I, I think, from that. I think he did quite well. Um, yeah. It, when you think about it, actually, I've never interrogated this before because I've always been like, oh, yeah, I guess. Um, they're just weird. And, like, they're actors yeah. or whatever, so they just want to do cool stuff. But when you think about it, like, you don't land a part, really... I don't think you land a part in a movie series like Twilight or... Harry Potter is different because he was, like, a really young kid. And he, they probably picked yeah. him because he looked like the kid on the front cover. Um, That's kind of crazy as well, hey? Yeah, right. But, like, Robert Pattinson was well into his teens, if not, like, 20s in... Um, Sure. Uh, yeah. By the time he did Twilight, Kristen Stewart, I'm assuming, is the same. And they'd probably been like, they're probably like acting students. And if you think about an acting student, as much as they'll probably take almost any work, I'm sure that they are aware of what is like a wonderful, weird, independent script and what's like a huge fucking moneymaker. And so, like, I'm assuming that at the stage that they were at in their careers when they picked. Uh, or when they were offered, like, Twilight, they would have also preferred to do the weird, cool scripts that they liked, but they just knew that this would be, like, this was their big break. So I'm sure that it wasn't something like... They wanted to do something like Twilight when they were young, and now that they've done it and they've made millions and millions of dollars that they really need to kind of, like, keep doing that shit, they can now do what they want to do. I'm sure that they wanted... They would have loved to do... You know, I'm sure that, like... Pattinson would have loved to do The Lighthouse when he was still an up-and-comer. He just <laughs> would have known that it wouldn't have made him any fucking money compared to Twilight, right? And now the fact that he's in this movie is almost a draw card for the movie. Oh, abs- it's it was started to work the other way around, right? For sure. Like, the fact that they got Defoe on... Like, Defoe notoriously loves this weird shit. Weird shit, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, like, Pattinson doing... Um, he did High Life. He did uh, uh, Claire Danes. Not Claire Danes. Fucking... Uh, Claire Denis, no. Claire Denis, thank you. Yes, Claire Denis. Jesus um, Christ. Yeah, well done. <laughs> um, Claire that came from like the deep recesses oh, yeah. of my mind. <laughs> that was good. I Where mean, like my a... uni degree isn't. For <laughs> <Yeah>. your <laughs> <laughs> well, knowledge of the laws of thermodynamics lacks. <laughs> hey, w- of w- my knowledge of whichever law of thermodynamics that I may have forgotten. The first one, yes. Or all three. Or all three. Um, Right, so Claire Denis, like, he did A High Life, he, uh, before that he did Good Time, and now, like, this. Um, he clearly has no need <laughs> to choose, be choosy about what projects will, like, make him able to keep going as an actor. He can just do whatever he wants. And so now yeah. it's like, right, great, well, he's being choosy. It's really cool that um, he will sign on to a film like this that has a budget of, like, $4 million. It's um, so cool. It's really I love that neat. he's doing all this weird shit. And he, uh, yeah, yeah, it yeah, rules. So exactly. He's done heaps of weird shit. And The Lighthouse is no exception. So it's a black and white movie yeah. for a start. Yeah, people... people filmed in- anyone, I feel like if you're in film if you're in film circles, you kind of like... You, you know what this is because lots of people have been talking about it recently. But if you don't know what this movie is, you must be tearing your fucking hair out. This is like... Oh. So it's released by A24, the same studio that released uh, like Midsommar and all the Ari Aster movies. Um, the other one. All sorts of hipster Hereditary. shit. Right. Uh, the, um, the Chinese-American one. The Farewell. The Farewell, thank you. Um, yes, all of You're those welcome. types of movies are all released by or produced by A24. Um, 
um, among other companies. But, and, well, and but when you pitch this movie and someone says, "Oh, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the lighthouse this week," and they go, "What's that about?" and you go, "Oh, it's this four by three black and white movie." Uh-uh. Shut up! Uh-uh-uh. It's not four <laughs> by three. Um, you didn't say the magic word. The magic word is one to one point nine. Shut uh, up! Yeah. So it's no, it's two not. to it's, one. It's, it's, it's one. It's one to. 1.19, I think. <laughs> so it's almost a square. It's almost a square. It was filmed for Instagram, in other words. Um, Fuck yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, it's uh, 1.19 to 1, sorry, is the official aspect ratio. Yeah, so it's, so it's a, little bit, a little bit wider than it is tall. No, Already, I th- yeah, sorry. It's a, so yes. it's more narrow than 4 by 3, which is fucking nuts. <laughs> yeah. Already, I think that, um, ironically, that's the situation I'm dealing with on video chat right now. Um, oh, yeah. Already, though, I think that it makes for a really interesting, um, a lot of really interesting shots, and the cinematography is something that's a bit, a bit, a bit noticeable in this film. Oh, I just um, locked my phone. I've lost you, bro. Yeah. Where have you I gone? I can see you, brother. No. Oh no! Can um, you still see me? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. There you go. Is that cool? <laughs> um, uh, the cinematography is really interesting in the film because right. I suppose the first thing you're looking for and you're like, right, why the fuck did they pick a black I and white? I, I was going to ask and you And why the this, fuck actually. did they pick it as 4 by 3 or 1.2 to 1? first thing you notice is that it's in... Uh, <laughs> it's it's in the aspect ratio. Do you in, no, right? do you notice it's, that it's black and white first, or do you notice that it's in one? I think the aspect ratio first. because the cinema screen widens, and you notice that the cinema screen widens way more than the light goes on. Yeah, uh, well, in any I case, think that's not de- interesting. In any case, it's definitely like a conscious cinematographic choice, I suppose. Or do you think it's just some fucking gimmick, and they just choose it just to be something a bit different? Like, okay, so. <laughs> Um, the cinematographer Jaron Blaschke said of this uh, that the frame was originally going to be 4 by 3 because that's kind of what you think of when you think of a boxy aspect ratio and then he goes on to say a year or so before prep probably 6 months before I had a script I threw the idea towards uh, Eggers of using 1.19 oh Eggers catch yeah and uh, he he thought, hey, if one point three three is one point three three is four by three, if that's confining, this will really give you what you're looking after, or what you <laughs> instead what of one point three three. What about one point one nine? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and he says he wasn't really serious because it's kind of a weird idea, <laughs> but then Eggers really took to it, and um. He also goes on to say, like, it's about being stuck. So the aspect ratio, the choice for the aspect ratio and the creative drive behind sticking with something so obscure and narrow is that it's yeah. about being stuck with someone that you can't get away from. So What's if you're shrinking, like? if you're shrinking, yeah, I don't know, man. If you're shrinking down <laughs> the world as much as possible, even in the blocking, for those of you uh, who don't know what this is, blocking is where you, um, it's literally the physical placement of actors and objects in the scene. Like blocking the choreography is, of scenes. Right, exactly. Exactly. Um, so the blocking is like, I need to make sure that you're standing here and you're standing here so that you're not standing in front of this other person in the shot. Um, so like the even in the blocking, he says, you have to cram people together in the frame. They're closer in the film than they would be in real life, uh, but you don't really think about it because there's no more 
there's 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 nothing left of the frame by the time you frame the two characters up, so you don't really yeah. feel the rest of the room. It feels so pretty intimate like that, which is what well, kind of reminded me of, of what I wanted to bring up about it was the idea yeah. that there's there's the intimacy to it and the fact that it's really it really just focuses you on both characters. Like if you have both characters in the scene, you're right, the shot is full. And then the other thing is that like I noticed that a lot of the shots felt very geometric in the way right. that they were composed. Right. Like there was a lot of um, very hard borders through the frame, like when he's setting up a ladder across the frame, tilted on a wall to fix something. There's like very sharp definition, like vectors. sharp angles and vectors and things through the frame. Um, yeah. When he is painting the lighthouse is another example of like a sharp dominating strong shape that goes through the whole frame right. that dominates the whole frame. Um, I suppose I don't have any concrete examples, but I just really noticed it. Maybe it was that I was looking for it because it was such a weird aspiratio and a weird color and everything, but I, mm. I definitely noticed that um, there's lots of sort of hard shapes that dominate the whole frame because the frame is basically a square in the way that, well, in the yeah, way that I, it might not if it was a, a, rectang- a rectangle or whatever. I think um I think they just probably had to kind of consider it more. I don't know cuz that that diminishes the the consideration that goes into framing a film normally in like 169 or whatever. Um but yeah, I think you're right. I think it 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 shows that they went into this movie um kind of focusing more on the sensation that the image would conjure rather than like conforming yeah. to whatever normal um, expectations there were. Well, you would have um, thought that even if you're a normal cinematographer and you're used to dealing with 16 by 9, the fact that you're confronted with this different aspect ratio and different color scheme and everything means that you'd be consciously thinking about it more than you would normally be thinking about the medium when you're normally working with it. Right. I'd love to talk more about um, the actual like film that was used to film this because I think that's one of the most interesting things about the movie from the uh, behind-the-camera uh, perspectives, but... Something that relates to that is that when you when you're talking about like when they're in in the in the in the uh, director or the director of photography's the DP's mind um, when they're actually filming it something that yeah. I think a lot of DPs that today have probably become quite comfortable with is the idea of using what's called a monitor, um, which is the uh, screen that a director or a DP will look at to make sure that everything's like framed up correctly and that it actually looks good. And often the monitor using will be a digital camera or whatever, yeah. right? And the monitor will be giving you an image that is kind of like what you can expect to see after editing and stuff. You can actually load it up so that it shows you like what what's this going to look like after I've applied all my like color correction bullshit to it and what after yeah. we've done all the editing stuff to it, what's it going to look like? And so they yeah. use that a lot of the time to see if they're doing a good job or not. But this was filmed on uh, a, a film, a, a actual film, obviously. Um, but it was well, filmed... Also, they, on... they have the viewfinder still. They have the viewfinder, but no uh, monitor. So there's no, like, they can't get uh, assist on the focus. They have to make sure the focus is done completely manually. Um, they get no uh, color or contrast effects that they can do like all of it is basically literally just looking at what image is coming through the camera in the front of the camera um they have like filming on this medium which was a uh i think it was kodak double what yeah so it's kodak double x which came out in 1959 and has not been fucked around with since some old ass medium really old 
Um, the lenses that they used were like Bausch and Loam lenses that came out in the 19... Literally came out in the 1930s. Um, so, like, <laughs> all of the tech that they were using to record this means that they didn't have any of the, like, modern-day tools that a cinematographer would usually have That's to make so sure cool that it looks well, great. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's cool, but also, like, apparently... So, like, a 25-millimeter lens is a type of lens that a lot of, like... I don't know. It's one of the... It's one of the um, if you need a wide angle shot, that's like, okay, well you go with something around a 25 millimeter lens. Usually if you want like a portrait, you'll go with like, or a close up, you'll go with like a 50 mil or even like bigger than that an 85 maybe. But like a 25 millimeter yeah. lens is a reasonably comfortable lens to just sit on if you ever need a wide angle shot. And the yeah. 25 millimeter lens broke down for six weeks of shooting on this because it was fucking 90 years actually... old. And so they yeah, were just fuck. like, well, any, any shot that we wanted to use a 25 millimeter lens on, sorry, it's just fucked. So we just need to completely reframe it and move all the shit around so that it fits on like not a 25 millimeter lens anymore yeah which i fuck. guess is the trade-off that you deal with when you're working with gear that's like uh fucking 90 to 50 years old yeah it's yeah, wow. it's quite interesting that they managed to soldier through all of this stuff and this and this whole movie is so interesting i feel like maybe we should wind back a bit so the movie itself yeah you're probably right we're about... getting way too into the weeds on it yeah i want to i want to uh, talk more about the black and white film just remind me to talk we, about yeah, the black and def- white film I, I will yeah i will forget um <clears throat> willem defoe is an old lighthouse keeper who is responsible for keeping the light on in a lighthouse in a little island in the middle of nowhere right. robert pattinson I don't know is if a ever, young if you ever know where it is it's not clear you don't they're both they're both british so right. you know that it's somewhere i assume off no, the coast n- of england it's off maybe? the coast of off the coast of new england so off the coast of canada right or the it, united it, states yeah no no idea they're both british and that's all you really get yeah, yeah um off the coast of some sort of british territory somewhere i suppose you could maybe you're right with canada i didn't hear for that it's, it's new england that. it's new england in the states but whatever yep yeah, uh, who knows? It's probably not New England, but if it is... <laughs> <laughs> it's probably um, not what's Rob- written in the Wikipedia article that I have in front of me, yeah. Robert Pattinson. The movie opens with Robert Pattinson being sent to uh, be the new like lighthouse keeper's assistant on this His island. name's Winslow. That's it, yeah. Yep. You don't actually find out his name for a little while, hey. He just calls him, like, boy or something. Yeah, or dog. Um, <laughs> And yeah, dog, your dog. Your dog. Um, <laughs> my impression of, um, uh, what's his name? Willem Dafoe in this movie is just uh, Captain Barbosa. Oh, yeah, time. okay. But like, Winslow, your dog. More, more unhinged. Yeah. Um, in terms of, in so, vocals, it's similar, but more unhinged, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think at some point you find out that uh, Robert Pattinson uh, needs work somehow and has found out that the further isolated the lighthouse is, the more money you get. The better and you so get this paid, is like yeah. this is like some I, some lighthouse way out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah. So they have like canned like food hell. for yeah. yeah. They have canned food for days. They have a big fucking pit of coal and a big pit of firewood and like a big old fucking place where they dump all their sewerage and all that and that's it for like a whole 12 weeks or I six think it's months six or whatever, weeks, yeah. whatever the fuck it is um, oh, the initial so the whole, contract is four weeks and it's for the movie yeah right and so the movie is like they get buffeted by storm and bad weather and disaster and all sorts of shit and it's basically just like what goes wrong as these two dudes are stuck isolated on this lighthouse in the middle of an island in the middle of nowhere yeah um it's 
so interesting and so uh, yeah i don't know I, I feel like part of the part of the appeal of the movie for me was the hipster fucking quirk of the cinematography and everything like but once you get past that it's all about the performance it's actually an interesting yeah it's actually an interesting film and it is yeah. you're right so it's basically only i think you briefly see like at almost like only silhouettes of other people it is really yeah. just Pattinson and Defoe. It reminds me of Marriage Story in this way. Um, yeah. It's really just two people getting the chance to fucking theatrically act on screen. And it um, really feels like it could have been a play, maybe. It, it could I, have been, really, yeah. And especially with the claustrophobic sets, uh, it yeah. really could have been set in like on a stage. I think you're, you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was real. I I had a lot of fun with it. I definitely think that I left it. My my instinct leaving the movie was I didn't love it. Right, but you it was said really that. yeah. But it was a really interesting experience. I feel like I'm glad that I saw it because it's one of those oddball movies that I feel like not many people are going to get a chance to see. And mm. so I was really happy that I saw it. I definitely didn't love it. But it's there was a lot of scenes where I feel like maybe I didn't get it, and I needed to watch it again to really right. appreciate it, right, or that right, I needed right. like a, a bit of time to stew over it. And to be honest, since I saw yeah. it, I haven't really had much of a chance to do that. No, of course. <laughs> but I feel like um, but I feel like so, we, and kind of we treat it as a bit of a joke, but I think it's actually kind of useful. The um, there's a Facebook page that we regularly frequent that is um, posting. It's like uh, every A twenty four frame in order or something like that yeah um, and so they, they they pick some dumb movie and post the movie frame well, it's by an frame a24 a movie so it's it's been yeah. they've done like uncut gems and now they're doing the lighthouse um and it's meant to be like a meme thing but also like it's really useful for seeing these films on a frame by frame basis that's not always the most like memeable moments in the film and you're like fuck i remember that bit and actually that was really quite memorable it's a good way to like yeah look at what what each individual scene was and be like, yeah, shit, I do remember that bit. And it was really interesting. It had this like really interesting little moment in it or something that I noticed something that stuck with me. So I feel like you and I have, as much as you might've like been, I don't know, kind of maybe lukewarm on it, even being glad that you saw it, but lukewarm on it as an actual movie. I'm all on the memes for sure. There's so many frames or memorable moments in it that are like, I don't know, that you just wouldn't get from other films. Oh, it's the very performances clear. are just so good. They're very, it's very sort clear of that Eggers had such a vision and that the characters, exactly, the performances were so strong. Um, yeah. That it's, yeah, it's been really, um, it's been really, it's something that's really like marinated with me. <laughs> it's really, I feel like, when it, I don't know whether we said it's sort of set in like the 1800s sometime. Uh, yes, roughly. Or the early 1900s? Late, late 19th century, yeah. It's, yeah, I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I think I really enjoyed it. I think that, like, going out of it, I felt a little bit lukewarm. It wouldn't be in, like, my top 10 movies that I've seen, but um, Mm. I'd strongly recommend everyone watch it as, like, an example of what cinema can be, not just what you normally see, right? Yeah, and so it's more of, like like, a drama... I wouldn't call it a thriller or anything, but there's definitely no. some strange sort of supernatural kind of things that happen as the movie goes on that right. you can't quite tell if they're real or whether they're a product of the the isolation-fueled madness that these characters are undergoing. 
Right. Um, so you alluded to it. Basically, what happens is um, uh, Robert Pattinson takes this job and he gets there with Willem Dafoe. They arrive on this boat. And, and Willem Dafoe is a pretty brutal kind of taskmaster kind of. Yeah, dude. he's a he's a, 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 a sort of a mean like a slave driver type. Um, he's a clean the floors twice. Fuck you! I don't believe you. Clean them three times, kind of. Right, shit. and it's like the kind of thing where like Pattinson will like drag this really heavy gas canister up to the top of the lighthouse, and then Dafoe will be like, "I don't need this up here. I need it back down there. Drag it back down." And so like he'll drag it back down. Yeah. And he will have like wasted his time, and he becomes more and more infuriated. Um, and kind of like looking to uh, find, I, I guess, looking forward to going home. And um, yeah. there are like a few moments where they start to connect a little more as people. Uh, it seems like Defoe is a lot more keen to have that happen. Pattinson sort of is very uh, reserved and kind of like withdrawn <clears throat> and reluctant to open up. Whereas yeah. I feel like Defoe kind of wants that more like close kind of like bond from working together for such a working in, <laughs> in such a claustrophobic environment. It's weird, isn't it? Cause the foe on the one hand feels like a really sort of mean boss, but on the other hand feels like he's really trying to be the one that's the most social. He's like, like he's opening the one up like, emotionally. Oh yeah. Let's have, yeah. A, let's, let's yeah, have yeah. a drink at dinner. Uh, Winslow. Let's, let's have a drink together. And the Winslow goes, no, we shouldn't. And then like, right. He's the one, he's always like a shit stirrer as well. I don't know if you agree it's with this, but weird. It, it, always, it almost feels like he's, uh, Defoe was, I, I got the sense that Defoe was like following the pattern of like what's done at sea. He's like an old sea dog and he's like, the way you do it at sea is you fucking, you work hard in the day and then at night you make friends yeah, you and play hard. Yeah. You really get, yeah, exactly. You get, you get to know each other in the, in, in the nighttime and, um, Pattinson's character is sort of just there to earn his money and like he wants to just work hard and then go to sleep and not be social and he doesn't really fit in with the whole culture right Defoe just needs to like crack his shell a little bit I guess at the start of the movie yeah I suppose I thought it was it's was it strange that they managed to like the characters are so strongly defined that Willem Dafoe is able to establish this very very strong sort of sea dog culture just between the two of them right Right, and right. you really get an impression of the culture and the, s- the social pressure that's pr- placed on Robert Pattinson's character, sort of conform to what's going on here, just just on the strength of Willem Dafoe's performance alone. I think it's it really. Is, I think it is the performance. Full credit to the costume and makeup, um, the way that they made and the set each designs character. and everything. Yeah, the way that they made each character look. Um, just you know, I don't know. It's it's as simple as Something- like, oh, Willem Dafoe has a beard and his teeth are kind of like space far apart so yeah, when he talks so, he looks like he's just got this old character about him something about the costume and definitely the lighting and the makeup as well make he has these crazy sunken eyes yeah like, yeah, yeah. When you look at all the screenshots on that facebook page we were talking about where they just post frames from this movie still images yeah um uh he just looks every 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 single frame of all the characters looks really defined and really saturated and the really crisp just got a really fucked up face like <laughs> just normally yeah and so i feel like this movie has really like chosen to lean into that um yeah yeah but i guess the the main complication of the film without like and i guess if you want like no spoilers because you're gonna go and or you're not gonna go and see this movie but if you want no spoilers because you're looking forward to seeing it um tune out now i suppose but this is like spoilers for the complication of the film um their uh their boat off um, they're, they're both well, Robert home. Pattinson's boat off. I feel like Willem Dafoe stuck there forever. 
I feel like they they work in shifts. Either way, um, the the right Pattinson is like looking more and more forward to getting off the fucking island and being done, and then it turns out that like there's this massive storm that hits, and so they they aren't likely to be leaving like anytime soon. So he's been like increasingly more and more like tense and frustrated with the situation. And then all of a sudden he finds out he's got to be there for so much longer than he expected. Yeah. It's and like so he was only of, supposed to be there for a couple of months and now he's there for weeks and weeks. He was initially there for like, longer. yeah, a one month and it's going to be so much longer than that. Um, and so like, it just sort of from there on, I, I guess the whole thing kind of like spirals out into like how yeah. the two of them, coexist for like a lengthened period of time mixed in there is like this um odd almost like supernatural sexuality of like robert pattinson's character where he finds this like little mermaid statue that was left by the last person that was there and becomes enamored with it and so he starts to have these like fantasies about uh merwomen um and uh, I'll, I'll say there's this like growing almost like homoerotic intimacy between him or like it's almost like a marriage dynamic between him <laughs> and Willem Dafoe um, <laughs> yeah, like, you like my lobster though yeah 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 where they argue about like his cooking and stuff and then <laughs> on top of that they both start drinking more and more heavily um, yeah so like all of that kind of like coalesces into like this just like ramping up of the absurdity and the uh, surreality of the plot. Um, yeah, it gets kind of ridiculous in, 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 a, in a crazy fun kind of way. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it just and gets to it, get more and more like you, you see the set get like more and more fucked up as the movie goes along. And, and the um, more it comes along, you're not really sure who the bad guy is, whether Robert Pattinson's right, the one right, of the right. wrong or whether Willem Dafoe's the one of the wrong. So it really sort of keeps on your toes because as you, well, the movie sort of follows Robert Pattinson's point of view. But the more it follows his point of view, the more you're not really sure whether maybe you're supposed to be you rooting for Willem Dafoe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. And the way it reveals information the whole time about what these characters' backstories really are yeah yeah it's really yeah. cool it's got a much more uh involved storyline than you kind of initially I, I i left kind of feeling like oh it's a pretty simple storyline but there's a fair bit going on there yeah um, you just sort of it's sort of it's very non-verbal i guess so it doesn't uh the the storyline feels like it takes a backseat compared to like the emotion of the film but it's not like it's not there at all you don't need to like search hard for the storyline it's just I think it it's, complements it's very the whole simple. film quite nicely. Right, though, yeah. that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, I guess the other thing that we were going to talk about is the the actual medium of the film, and I think the yeah. thing that looks the, the 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 thing that interests me the most about this is like literally what it would have taken. So I watched this when we were um, I uh, so I'm working on like Canberra short films, um, although that's all on fucking hold right now. Um, but I worked on the film that ended up winning uh, one of the decently big uh, hey. Canberra Short Film Festivals. Um, Whatever. I helped out on camera. Fuck um, yeah. Yeah, so it was called like The Best Story You'll Ever Hear About Pizza. And uh, I might have fucked that up, but it's something like that. Is it going to be on YouTube or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's it, it'll be uh, up for public consumption soon. And I'll probably post a link in the uh, group that y'all can check it out but i was thinking about when i was on set i was thinking about like i think i'd seen this like right before we ended up filming the short film that i worked on and so i was just thinking about a shitload of the stuff that um 
uh, an assistant and a cinematographer need to be thinking about while yeah, right. all of this stuff is going on. And yeah. so, like, they filmed this, as we mentioned earlier, on, like, uh, Kodak Double X, which is, like, an old-ass fucking film that came out in, like, 1959. And one of the interesting yeah. things about this film is that it's, uh, as far as I know now, I might fuck this up, um, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. It's called uh, <laughs> orthochromatic. And so, like, it really, that's that's a misnomer because it sounds like it only takes one color of light, but it actually only <laughs> takes, it only takes blue and green light. Right. And... What that means is, if you think about, like, a human face, there's a lot of, like, pinks and oranges and reds in a human face due to, like, I guess, blood and other stuff. Um, <laughs> and, uh... The, the total. The yeah, blood and other stuff, yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, film that they use to film this movie takes none of that light in. And so, they were right. only able to use the blue and green lights that sort of like the, the the blue and green wavelengths of normal light um, that you would be able to use. Right. And not only does that mean that you need to make sure you have uh, the right kinds of light on set, but you, it also means that you need to, you're cutting out like a significant portion of the, the wavelengths that just any studio lights will produce. And so, so it apparently, kind of affects visually what it looks like or what? Well, both, both, both things. It, it means that you need... Heaps of fucking light on set, yeah. which is funny because apparently, like, they, they were talking about um, on a normal, like, uh, th- this jargon's not going to mean anything, but basically, if you were recording <laughs> this, uh, if you're recording this on a normal, like, digital camera, so, like, an Ari Alexa is, like, a cinema standard visual camera that they'll use to record, like, I don't know, fucking um, Marriage Story or, like, any, any, any movie that you've probably seen recently was probably filmed on an Ari Alexa. Um, yeah, sure. That needs, like... Uh, that's gonna, uh, yeah, that, 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 that needs like X amount of light. And, yeah. uh, because of the lens setup and the normal film stock setup that they were using for this film, they needed literally 10 times the amount of light to be Fuck. on the set that they needed for this, which means that what's funny about that is that you're like, <laughs> Jesus, they needed like a lot more light. But what's funny about that is even in nighttime scenes in the lighthouse, um, apparently the, the actors were like literally blinded by the amount oh of God. light that needed to be pointed at their faces <laughs> during nighttime, during nighttime scenes, not even during daytime scenes. So if there's a scene that's lit by like a single candle on the screen, um, what that's actually lit by is like a huge reflector headlights. and massive, yeah, like giant, giant, giant lights. And, um... <laughs> Uh, the the DP didn't like direct light, so he always like bounced it, which is notoriously inefficient. And <laughs> yeah. so like he he would bounce it like through a window, and it would mean that like apparently like they could Pattinson and Defoe could like barely see each other because they were just seeing like sunspots. <laughs> <laughs> like this whole movie because they chose to film on this specific like black and white that doesn't take in any red light. That's and so one of the stupid. things that's that's most interesting about it is that uh, they use the same type of like um or there were similar issues with the the film uh, around the time that they took photos of the civil war so if you look up if you look up photos of like civil war era people um 
they will their their skin tones look really dark. It almost looks like they're kind of like negatively exposed. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of washed out or something. It's well, anything that appears normally blue or green has to be washed out because they have to yeah, really right. overexpose it because they've got to get so much more light in, so that the reds and oranges and pinks of like normal human skin can be exposed at a reasonable level. So if you're taking a photo of like someone in front of the sky, the person will look quite dark and contrasty, yeah. like moody, whereas the sky will be like totally blown out and like obliterated because they've just taken they've let the sky expose for like a hundred times as much as they've let the person expose for because like yeah right they they just have so much more uh blue and green light so yeah working with that i don't know that just seems like it it seems a, a little bit like i mean you made a great thing and sure it's got that real like um uh artistic like boast about it where you can say like oh yes we filmed this thing on like Kodak Double X and that's it sort was of half really, of it as well it was yeah. really fucking hard and, and it sure it looks great and you ass. did a good job but also you fucking did it to yourselves like <laughs> yeah, yeah you exactly just, yeah they, they very much could have they could have um, just done it digitally or whatever they could have done it digitally but also like they did it from the ground up so they not only did they choose that as their medium they then like made sure that the light that they chose reflected that they built the sets to reflect that so the whole thing just works together um, yeah, and it it looks really, I guess, like unlike anything that you probably have seen. Even yeah, it something looks like kind um, of otherworldly as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I couldn't say something like uh, Roma uh, uh, that was also filmed recently in black and white. I'm not sure. I haven't looked into whether or not those were filmed uh, kind of like in color, but then graded and contrasted yeah. black and white in post. But um, it certainly feels like it's of an era. And uh, it's it's really wonderful. The performances, the language that they use is uh, period or at least like elevated English. It's and it not, feels like it, doesn't it? It's not a normal English. Like there are points when uh, Defoe certainly launches into like huge monologues that are almost like literary. And yeah. those feel absolutely wonderful. It feels like some something out of like a... That, it's like that Mo- book with Moby the whale Dick. in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the, that, that's, that's really like lovely to be on the receiving end of. And it's almost more like, you know how you, as I think you, you might've alluded to it earlier, but like you go and see a play and, yeah. uh, and you're kind of not going to see it for the same reasons that you would go to see like an adaptation of Shakespeare to the big screen. You know, you, you're looking for a different thing there, but I, I went to see this movie almost thinking like, I'm going to see a play. You know, like I'm going. Yeah, to see it, it sort of does feel like that as well. It feels, but, really and it feels extremely well. theatrical and intimate. Exactly, and in it's focused on these people the whole time. There's we talk about this a lot, but there's like a lot of extended cuts, um, so <laughs> it forces the performance to be really rigorous. Um, yeah. Apparently, it was quite a stressful shoot, uh, where like <laughs> they were shooting in the elements, and like Pattinson was like really forced to endure a lot of like out there bullshit a lot of the time um <laughs> like a lot of uh, kind of like one more time one more time one more time sort of stuff and so like Kubrick his, shit but right <laughs> and like his performance can be quite like tense at times which is yeah. really lovely um yeah and i think just it's an interesting thing to i think this is one of those movies that benefits from knowing how it was shot and like what people went through as well as knowing what it, <laughs> like, what it showed you may have on only liked this a bit, but just trust me that this movie was a giant pain in the ass. Right, or like not even you may have only liked this bit, but like it, you might not have felt. Uh, I I feel like sometimes you you it's it's a little like the Safdie brothers films, right? We talk about this like where you don't really know how to feel after you watch a movie like this if you're not like 
kind of expecting yeah, you feel, it. You feel kind of empty. I, I feel like the movie was so sort of shocking and tense in in places in this movie that you sort of right. feel a bit sort of like like you're walking out of a out of a trance after you walk out of the cinema and you don't yeah, really know it, how to feel. Yeah, it doesn't really like hold your hand in the way that a lot of normal movies do, and so you feel like you just watch something and you you. It's more like um, it's almost more like being exposed to like an art installation than it is to like a <laughs> yeah. film. We like it's hard. To, it's hard on, not to know whether that sounds. Give me a plaque about what that meant. Or yeah, some shit? well, it's hard. It's hard not to sound a little pretentious about it. I think, but it's like yeah, it's like sometimes it's like it's like I really just watched the movie and didn't really know what to think. Yeah, right. Like, and like you obviously had thoughts and emotions through it, but well, it feels like <laughs> it definitely feels very much like someone wanted you to feel something and you want to make sure that you kind of like understood what they were trying to get you to feel. And I think yeah, like well, this this feels a little bit that way. And there's a lot of weird shit. So towards the end of the movie, there's a lot of weird shit where it sort of seems to sort of really fall off the rails of what is bound to reality and what isn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, you kind of like um, get into some really like mind unleashed stuff from Defoe. Um, yeah, go go and see it. Um, I mean, I know we say that about everything, but like, okay, if you're if you're the type of person that doesn't enjoy weird shit in movies, then like skip this one. Um. Yeah, well, I, I think, but in terms of like bullshit uh, indie fucking movies that are four by three, black and white, this is a million times better than Cold War. I think. Yes, I liked yes. Cold War. Cold War is my point. I did not. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> really so you hated it. So Cold Cold War, I think, was yep. an example of a movie where it feels like they just shot it in four by three, black and white, for the sake of it. Yeah. Um, and if you really broke down, like, what did they do with it? And what is this? Is this movie unique? And does it stand on its own other than its cinematography choice? Is it worth anything? I feel no. like you could argue with me that Cold War could have been a black and white 16 by 9. It could have been a color 16 by 9 movie. Yeah. And it would have been just as good. Yep, absolutely. Um, this I think, movie, I feel I, I like. I don't know this for sure. I've been trying to look this own. up. But I, I feel like Cold War could have been a movie that was shot. In full color with normal lighting conditions, <laughs> and, and, and like, then like, you know and then what? Just in the post, <laughs> be like, yeah. oh, we can fucking do this in black and white. Hey, <laughs> we could just cut off the first and fourth quarter of every shot, and then just right. Don't care I'm, I'm probably doing a vast. Uh, yeah, uh, no. I'm probably doing my my boy uh, Lucas Zal dirty for that one. The cinematographer. Uh, of yeah, <laughs> I think Cold this movie Warbuck. is interesting enough to watch. Um, and is a cool enough experience to not watch it just because it's a black and white square movie. Oh, okay. I've just found an interesting. If that connection. makes sense. Sorry. Oh, keep it to yourself if you say wouldn't that, mind. Say that again in two seconds. But um, you know how we were talking about Charlie Kaufman here? How he wrote, um, Charlie Kaufman wrote being John Malkovich, yeah. and he also wrote uh, I'm thinking of ending things, which is slated to come out this year. And the cinematographer right. of Cold War, right, also was the cinematographer of I'm thinking of ending things. There you go. Right. That's, that's so nothing connection. to do with the lighthouse. Uh, Cold War was also black and white. <laughs> that's that's the connection. Anyway, uh, put whatever bow on it you were trying to put on it before I stuck my fat old finger in the middle of that bow and prevented you from tying the knot. No, that was about it. You Pull th- your so finger you right this, on out. You think this movie's worth seeing, even though, despite the fact that it's a weird fucking art. No, artsy, I don't think. Dis- I don't think despite movie. it. I don't think despite it. I think it's. A, I think it stands on its own as a good movie. I think that right. the cold, cold war, um, its defining characteristic is the fact that it's black and white, four by three, or whatever right, the okay. fuck. Right. Whereas this movie, I feel like, is a cool movie anyway. That just happens to be filmed in four by three black and white. Like it stands on its own as an artistic statement, regardless of what weird 
choices they've made with how it's shot. That's interesting that too, because I feel like Cold War also almost exclusively focused. Oh uh, no, it had like the dance troupe motif through it as well. I was gonna say it focused on the two people, but it really didn't quite commit to that as much, and it didn't have that same like uh, theme of isolation and like claustrophobia. Yeah. Well, so I'll, I also yeah. feel like maybe Cold War you could go with like, oh, it was filmed at the time, which is why it's in black and white. Whereas this is like it's right. so far before the invention of proper filming film cameras that. The, you don't need to justify why this is in black and white, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, one of the first uh, one of the first movies that had this aspect ratio was called uh, just M, uh, which stands for. Uh, I've seen that actually. M- murder uh, in German. <laughs> murder. M- murder, which, is, uh, which means murderer in German. I don't need to tell yeah. you. Um, <clears throat> but it's about like a yeah uh, a child serial killer a serial killer of children in uh, <laughs> in, in Germany in the thirties. It was uh, came out in thirty one, um, and it was one of the. Just to first... be clear, I was laughing at the grammar of that, not the yes. concept of children <laughs> being killed. Yeah, um, I mean, maybe it's okay to be laughing at both. Um, <laughs> it was the it was uh, Fritz Lang's. Uh, first, like sound film, so film set with actual sound rather than being a silent movie with <laughs> his music. First or... proper solid movie. <laughs> yeah, so his first sound film. Um, <laughs> yeah, first film that he did actually with accompanying full dialogue and sound and shit. Um, and I, <laughs> I feel audio. like this this film really with yes with audio correct. This film like harks back to that era where it was first. It was first. It, it kind of displaces you. Um, it, 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 it temporarily displaces you right out yeah. into like the, the era that it's set in accompanied with the silent film era that it looks like it was shot from accompanied with the black and white sound films of the 30s. It well, sort yeah, of I think feels sorry, like it's yeah. a part of No, it just feels like it's part of all three. Well, I think it's, it's it's interesting to watch this movie and think about what parts of it could have been made 100 years ago and what parts of it couldn't. Because for the mm-hmm. most part, I suppose, you could probably think like, yeah, well, it's got they got some editing tricks up their sleeve. They've got some sharpness of the image and whatever. I, I don't know. Maybe that's all in the hardware and it's they're just the old movies we see the film has been fucked because it's been in a warehouse for 100 years. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you look at a lot of the shots in this movie and some of the shots in this movie, I think it's... You, you could have done 100 years ago, and some of them you really couldn't. And so I think well, that's none of the shit with the mermaid would have worked 100 years ago. It certainly no. Have and then good. the crane, I think there's a, there's a bit where it, it looks at one of the characters down the bottom of the lighthouse, and then the crane goes all the way up the lighthouse to the top in one, in one solid take. Right, right, right. Um, and the camera never cuts, and it goes all the way up the lighthouse in a crane or a helicopter or something. It'd be a um, crane, yeah. I think I remember yeah, reading about that. And I, I, I don't, I don't know what point I'm trying to make, but I suppose my point is <laughs> that I, I think it's interesting to look at these old movies and try and think about what techniques they're sort of trying to replicate by sort of seeing if they can make a movie that could have been made 200 years ago, and what techniques they're sort of like using modern technology to sort of like further the medium. Mm. Mm. And it's not as if they're restricting themselves to one or the other. Like it's in some ways it's a very traditional movie. It feels like, and in some ways it's it's not. Yeah, the the um the DP also said this thing, which I really like. This is Blaschka speaking. He he said um something that I feel has resounded with me a lot in the films that I've worked on, which is that uh, uh the the interviewer asked why why go through all of this trouble, 
and he said, well, yeah. we could have we could have shot color or desaturated it. Uh, we could have pulled out the red channel, but it doesn't quite look the same. There's so much more satisfaction doing it the difficult way sometimes. It gives that <laughs> extra it gives that extra 20% and hopefully mm. people will feel it. Sometimes it's more satisfying with a little struggle. And I think that's that's funny because that re- that really resounded with me because like if you're not spending a lot of money and you're making movies, you can make stuff that's really great. But you'll make stuff that's like 80%. If you're talented, you'll make stuff as like 80% as someone who's good that's also got gear and knowledge and ability behind them um, yeah, to like I, make I, the stuff that they want to make. And it is the extra 20% that you really, that people really notice and appreciate. I feel like to some degree, maybe it's just for the, it's just for the, the own sort of self, for a sensation of self reward that the filmmaker's going for. Like it's like that interview I read, Aged Guy, he come back to with Daft Punk. Where they and no one else will know this, but you will. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They were recording. Sh- they were recording the same piece of music with three different microphones, and the engineer was like, "Oh no, only those Daft Punk dudes are going to know the difference between the fucking right. '40s microphone and the '70s microphone right. and the '90s microphone." Right. Um, but it makes them happy, so we'll, we're going to do it. And they're paying I feel like for part it. of it's that for sure. Like I feel like most cinema going audiences, if you just film this digitally and flick the switch on black and white, no one would have known the difference. But like I feel like I'm maybe sure. the feeling and the sensation and the challenge when you're in the moment has got to influence the the final product in some way. And that's what I that's what I like I the most about this movie. With, or I, I really like responded to the quote that it it gives you uh, all of that effort sums to like an extra twenty percent. And yeah. like it's it's like yeah it's only it's a fifth better like was the amount of effort that was required twenty percent more oh, like, it's like no diminishing it was like, returns it was and like four hundred percent like maybe a thousand percent and it resulted in an extra twenty percent of course it's diminishing returns but yeah um but if you want your movie to be like shown on a cinema screen versus like an interesting little short film project then like that's what you're that's looking what matters, at doing yeah right. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know. I just really like thought that was an interesting like pull quote as something that uh, yeah. as, a, as a as a filmmaker um, that I yeah. kind of like latched onto. It's like sometimes it is about that twenty percent. You know, often it's not. Often they'll say like, don't let the eighty, <laughs> don't let the other eighty percent ever get in the way of you doing anything. But if you're uh, doing something, that twenty percent can matter. Yeah, I think this film really does just feel like a labor of love. And I think that's part of why, part of the reason why I like it. It really stands out in every scene you watch. All the actors are so dedicated to what they're doing. And the sh- all the different shots and the pieces of cinematography are so great. And the way the whole film is put together really makes you feel like everyone's put a bit of thought into it. And it makes you want to put thought into it. And it makes you want to see it again. Um, I know that's why Defoe was attracted to it because he wanted he he saw like uh, Robert Eggers as being such a strong like he had such a strong creative vision, and um, Defoe is probably in sort of a less less overt but similar situation to Pattinson where he doesn't really have to work on anything ever again that he doesn't want yeah. to work on. Defoe so, is like, so good in this. Yeah, he's great. He's great in fucking everything actually. But he often just signs on to weird shit that he really thinks that the director can do a good job on. And I seem yeah. to recall, like, there were a bunch of conversations to try and get him to sign on to this stuff. Sort of like, um, sort of like Sandler and Uncut Gems, where, like, they were trying to yeah, get sure. it to work for a while. But, um, yeah, uh, not quite as significant, but, um, 
It, it feels like the, the same reasons that audiences really love this film, and I, I think these these turn out these often turn out to be my favorite films. The same reasons that audiences love this film are the reasons that the actors signed on to do the film is that they read the script and they thought that this is really incredible. Um, there's yeah. something a lot more. This, this is elevated, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and and so they they sign on to it. Yeah. And I don't know, I think in closing, the reason, I said I didn't love it. I think when I, I said when I went out of it, I feel like it was more of a 6 or a 7 out of 10 for me. Right. Um, I think the reason I didn't love it was that it really did feel a bit cryptic. Yeah, it gives you nothing. It gives you nothing. And it felt like maybe I was missing something. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. like oh, it doesn't I don't know. It, it's one of the, it actually is, it's one of the less, I think it's not cryptic necessarily, but it gives you... Uh, it 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 holds your hand almost less than any movie I've ever seen, and it's, it, not, it almost, it's not less accessible, but it holds your hand less. But it it almost makes me think about whether the film really does have something to say, or whether it's using that sort of mysticism and sort of cryptic kind of nature in the way it's presenting itself to sort of imply that it has something to say even when it doesn't. No, I know I know Eggers is a talented enough writer that he had ideas behind the script. It's just he is being probably cryptic. <laughs> well, let's not speculate on those ideas for God's maybe sake. Maybe not. Maybe not intentionally cryptic, but like um, he he's telling he's telling the story non-verbally. There's definitely things about human morality and about um, I don't know the eth- the ethics of the way in which both of the characters are kind of conducting themselves and about who is I don't know I I don't, I don't have two minutes to speculate I li- about I it. I like it definitely as a story a of like going on there. I really liked it as a story of like uh, male sexuality as well. Like these this just these two dudes yeah, right. I didn't really stuck get together the whole fucking time and um, like I think. How many times does Pattinson whack off in this movie? Is it twice? <laughs> yeah, it's like two or three times. I yeah. think it's two or three times, and like, do, and so just that combined with the fact that there's like this this like marital argument dynamic between uh, Pattinson and Defoe. I don't know. I sort of just felt like um, they were almost a married couple, and there was the intimacy there as well. It's good shit, wasn't it? with the dancing and stuff. Yeah, so I don't know. I thought I thought that was like for me that was kind of the thing that elevated it beyond this level of like it's not just this movie about two dudes stuck together. It's like two dudes stuck together. They're forced to confront a bunch of stuff about their past and their history, but they're also forced to confront a bunch of stuff about their own like sexuality and the surreality of that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um well, it's it's definitely more there's more to this movie than appears on the surface of bullshit indie darling. You know, yeah, I think that yeah. it's more than it's more than its gimmick of the cinematography. Of the cinematography, yeah, for sure. But I definitely sure. think that the fact that it's so cryptic and so weird is going to put some people off in a way where if you're not really in the mood to sit down and just watch something a bit weird, not necessarily great, not necessarily bad, just like strap yourself in for a bit of a weird time. If you're not in the mood for that, you're probably going right, to fucking hate right, it. Right. All right. How's this for better than worse then? Then. If you yeah, had if you didn't have one prepared. I've got better than Cold War, but I don't have a worse than. Okay, I've got I've got a different better than that I think will give more people a better reference. Um, sure. I don't know what this was worse than, but let's say Okay. So this was probably less good than Marriage Story in terms of like it's um <clears throat> so this was worse than Marriage Story in terms of its like theatrical performances of actors. This okay. is an act- this is an actors movie. Yeah. Maybe Maybe worse than uh, Good Good Time, um, the Pattinson movie. Okay. Um, if you want to see like Pattinson really getting into a role, 
I had like worse than uh, worse than Mandy in terms of a film that is uh, really yeah, okay. defined in some respects by its cinematography and by its aesthetic, but has to stand alone as a drama as well. I feel like Mandy does a great job of really being defined by its aesthetic, but having a brilliant story and brilliant characters and a brilliant narrative that stands alone. I feel like the, Mandy did it a lot better than than The Lighthouse did. The more I think about it, I like the way that I has did it, but I think I preferred Mandy a lot better. Right. So I would probably not to cut you off, but you've you've inspired me and made me think that I would probably put Lighthouse as being better than Cold War, worse than Mandy. My, I was gonna say as like in terms of like a a movie that um, a lot of people <laughs> probably would have seen um, better than Midsummer, for in terms of like a a creepy atmospheric performance-based movie that had a really consistent, like, directorial... It had, like, a very... Uh, Midsommar had a very consistent artistic voice behind it, and I don't think it was quite as good as this. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. You're right. I never thought about it that way, but I suppose that the uh, both The Lighthouse and get that up, yeah. both had a very consistent theme, but... I, I do agree that I think The Lighthouse did it a lot better than Midsummer did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we could go The Lighthouse. I'm happy with that. The Lighthouse is better than Midsummer. Yep. Worse than Mandy. Yes, agree. Great. Wonderful. Yep. We got it. That's a f- our first, our first uh, uh, good, better than worse than little while, I reckon. Our first, our first good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Great. I, ho- okay. I hope that this, uh, this, this video chat episode's gone well. So Andrew, Andrew and I have been doing it from the opposite sides of Canberra. Yep. Not looking um, at each other at all, thank God. No. Uh, Canberra Times recently did a, a, an article about the top five Canberra podcasts to listen to in self-isolation, and I'm ashamed to say that we didn't make it. So maybe Damn. we got to more, str- more strongly Fuck, brand this as a Canberra podcast. we got to start making some friends. <laughs> there are five fucking podcasts in Canberra that are better than us, apparently. I would have said we were one of five. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Well, okay. Two of them are new. All of... All of... Uh, all of... Uh, Parliament House is in Canberra, regret- regrettably, and all of uh, ABC Canberra is in yeah, right. Canberra. So tell your friends if you want to want to get people listening to this podcast. Yeah, let's get us on Cam- that list next year, huh? Fuck yeah! Ne- next 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 time we got COVID twenty twenty. Yeah, can okay, get, get us on that list. Probably gotta um, stop saying cunt and talking about cum so much. Huh? <laughs> oh no, no I've def- done it. <laughs> that's a defining factor. Did I tell I'm you t- my mother listened to this podcast yes, recently? Yes, you did. Yes, it was on in the living room. Yep. <laughs> very, very good. High. She live. was like, she was like, why don't I just broadcast it through the speakers? And but like, Dad and I, I were like, sorry, what? Lots of, <laughs> lo- lots of reasons for episode. I think, <laughs> Mum. I think of, I can think of about ten centiliters worth of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> That's the episode name. <laughs> ten cc's of good reasons why. Ten cc's why you shouldn't listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. I'm going to be the one that's going to have to sync up this horse shit. So yeah, let's yeah, find yeah. out how we go I'm there. doing the Sonic episode and you're doing the episode of two dudes who oh fucking God. fuck each other and hate each other's lobster. Hell yeah. Thank I don't you think they listening. actually fuck each other, right? I'm, I'm wrapping up the episode. Yes, so you say. <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Beef Station. Jump on our Facebook page. Email us if you have any private little questions or concerns. I'm Oscar. I am Andrew. I'll see you later. I'll see you when I see you, buddy. See you when I see you in November. Fucking bye, hell. Bye, 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 bye. bye.